My name is Diana Riza. Pronouns are she, her, they. And I'm Shante Hanks. Welcome to the Diversity in Higher Education podcast. The Diversity in Higher Education podcast is recorded out of Southern Connecticut State University in New Haven, and it was developed to bridge the gap between academia and the community on issues of diversity, equity, and inclusion. I'm here with our host, Dr. Diana Riza, the university's first chief diversity, equity, and inclusion officer. Hi, everyone, and thank you so much for joining in with us today, November 9th, as we take a step back absorb and reflect on everything that has happened since election day, which it's very hard to believe was almost one week ago. Joining us today is Dr. Randolph Brooks, is, who is the Multicultural Programming and Outreach Coordinator at Southern Connecticut State University. He has worked in higher education for 10 years. He's not just um, the outreach coordinator uh, for and multicultural programmer, um, but also his research um, focuses on increasing marginalized and underrepresented students' utilization of mental and physical health care services. On the heels of a week-long election process without a clear end in sight, I think we have a lot, a lot to talk about. So welcome, welcome, Dr. Brooks, to the conversation. Thank you for having me. So as I was saying earlier, um, I am, again, very grateful to be at Southern and to have Dr. Uh, Brooks um, at the institution. And in this current state of affairs, um, um, there's a lot going on. Um, so I, Dr. Brooks, what are you currently experiencing and seeing from, from you know, after the election and with everything? Well, doc, well, Dr. Teresa, you brought up a lot. And that's kind of the feeling that there's a lot. On one hand, there is this feeling of optimism and renewed vigor and a sense of relief with respect to our political process. But on the other hand, there is still just this recognition that there's so much to be done. There's so much work that has to happen. There definitely does seem to be a lot that is going on. And even when you want to take it a step back just to say, wow, the election process is over, just as you pointed out, with the current incumbent not willing to not willing to concede, you know that there's still a bit of a roller coaster left before we get to inauguration day. And so as you're talking about um, feeling about what we heard in President-elect Biden's victory speech, where he talked about healing. You know, from a therapeutic perspective, healing can be very painful. It's a process. You know, when we talk about healing or repair or restoration, we're talking about a process. And over these past four years, this nation has taken a bit of a shift. And so we haven't really addressed that. We saw this shift happening. We have seen it occur. And now there has to be a movement back. In order to have that sort of movement back, there needs to be some discussion that is going to be difficult, some dialogues that are going to be hard to have, you know, sitting down with your neighbor, someone who you thought believed one way, and now you're seeing that there is a different belief, and really trying to be able to really sit down and talk with each other as adults, talk with each other as real human people. And in this particular moment that we're in, 
as much as we want to have these conversations as quickly as possible, sometimes we need to take a step back and check ourselves first to make sure we're ready to have these conversations before we can actually move forward. You know, when you talk about pausing, are we ready for the healing? And so I'm curious um, in this pausing that uh, it's, it's long overdue, uh, any, any thoughts on, uh, again, with what we just talked about with these next few weeks and months, the uncertainty of not conceding or the current president not conceding, any um, predictions of what, and I, and I mean that, thinking about healing, any predictions on your end as of what would be a next step for that healing? What would be some good counsel for anyone um, knowing what, what you just said is, you know, these are difficult times. Any, any general first steps or recommendations that you would have for anybody who's listening? Well, one of the very first steps would really be an acknowledgement. And what we're talking about is that recognition that, you know, the mask that has been in America has been removed. And there's no way to put that back on. So people are looking at each other differently, differently than they have in the past. And so when it comes to reckoning with that confusion, reckoning with what can we expect next, it's important for us to take the time that we need for ourselves. You know, some of us may be thrilled with what has occurred with the election, but then others are feeling isolated. You know, we're talking about the, the countries, the vote was what, 51 to 48 percent. So we're still large swaths of the country who are feeling a particular way that the, not, that the other half isn't feeling. You know, so there is going to be this moment in which we are dealing with, you know, thrilled versus isolated. We are dealing with some people who are still experiencing this worry, this anxiety, this fear, this frustration. But it's also important to remember that those same feelings that worry, fear, anxiety, frustration, it's only been a but a taste of what others in this country have been experiencing for longer periods of time. You know, so it's important when we talk about, you know, as we are talking about dealing with students, faculty, staff, people across the country, that it is important to first take a step back and to think about empathy. When we're talking about empathy, we're talking about being able to place yourself in the position of others. You know, so when we think about, for example, our marginalized communities and our underrepresented communities in this nation, they've been going through these forms of fear, worry, anxiety for decades. This has been an extremely long process and for now, to, for now there to be this quick shift into which you have another side of this country now starting to feel a bit of anxiety or a bit of fear. You know, take a step back to remember that, you know, America has been around for a very long time. And as a nation, we have a reckoning that has to come with respect to how we dealt with others. And so as we go through this process, practice some empathy on both sides. Empathy is not just one size fits all. It's for, it is for everybody with respect to how we actually deal with our neighbors, with our friends, with our families, with our coworkers and colleagues. When we talk about empathy, Place yourself in the position of somebody else first. Yeah, that's that's extremely helpful, Dr. Brooks. I, you know, I was thinking about this in my time, you know, many years teaching um, in the classroom, and uh, we know that's true today. That um, there are individuals um, that would not be comfortable in in being able to engage in a public 
political discussion. I mean, we noticed that during the election, there are some individuals that, regardless of the aftermath now that would may, may be even more scared to get onto social media or to be um, candid in a classroom. Uh, if let's say all goes well and we continue to um, recognize that Biden is the president-elect, um, there might be individuals who just don't feel comfortable in saying anything about them, either have you know having voted or supporting or have supported uh, Trump. Um, so making a public stand, whether it's in social media or in the classroom, uh, can be very scary. Um, so how, you, you talked about empathy, um, but how, when you see students or faculty and staff um, that may be in this place, how would you counsel them? I mean, you talk about empathy, but how do you get them to take that first step of comfort to be able to be self-empowered, right? Empowered to speak truth, their truth, even though it is not the truth that others are supporting it's not the majority voice right now it's not the majority rule how do you provide that space for those who may not be a typical group feeling marginalized but now feel marginalized because of who they voted and didn't get in any any thoughts around that it's really important to take stock of our relationships with people you know take an honest accounting of our relationships you know so it's also important to recognize if we are speaking the same language or at the very least starting from the same position you know so for example if we're talking about like you know conservative versus liberal are we talking about human rights or are we talking about fiscal responsibility you know so our you know as we're starting trying to figure out where is our base foundation when it comes to our relationships and with our conversations with people it's okay to agree to disagree, that is fine, depending on where your baseline is. Also, when we're talking about, you know, making those first steps, we have to recognize, do we have the capacity for some of these relationships right now? This isn't a case to say we're going to cancel people or anything like that, but it's important to recognize, are you in a space in which you're going to have this conversation with, with somebody right now? Or are you still in the process of trying to heal and to restore yourself first? before you move on to talking to somebody else. You know, and so that's when we have to really look at resetting our boundaries, which can be tricky, but it's also necessary because we are taking into account our mental well-being. We're taking into account our relationships and our friendships with people. You know, so even if you're in a position in which you feel scared to take that leap or to make that jump into a political discussion, you know, it really is about who am I talking to and what sort of relationship do I have with that person that I'm talking to. And also on the other side, if you aren't feeling comfortable engaging in that political conversation at this time, the same thing. Do I have the capacity to engage or not engage? And when I look at this relationship, is this someone who is a valued family member, someone who is a valued friend, someone that I really care about and I want to really restore and I want to really hold and nurture this relationship or is it somebody who is a co-worker do i look list my co-workers into a different category of somebody who i really need to be cordial with at work but outside of work we really don't have that significant of a relationship we have relationships on tiers you know we have our top tier relationships those who i will you know go and do anything for 
there are also those relationships that are people that I know and I care about and I like, but you know, you're not on that top level. You also have you know, other people who you just know and you just interact with. You know, it's okay to have your relationships on tiers, but it is important to recognize what your boundaries are around those different tiers and those different relationships. Because again, we're talking about your mental well-being at this point. And at times we actually are putting in too much energy and too much effort into relationships that we really don't have on that tier that requires that much energy or effort. You know, I thank you for that. The, you know, differentiating between who is as, you, you talk about tiers, but who's as close, who's, who's closest, who's at a distance, whether it's working relationship, professional relationship, family, friends. I, I keep, overall, um, I, I, I'm, I'm having a, 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 some difficulty uh, with, with all of this. And, and I, I say this because even in my personal life, um, I, I've talked about this in a few podcasts ago about uh, actually leading up to the election, how my relatives were thinking about this um, in their work, in their, in, their, in their life, and how um, they were seeing me as the, the person who wasn't really feeling them. And so engaging with them um, was difficult, even though there's love and support and respect for them. So, you know, I keep thinking about love, respect, and support. And at the same time, uh, they wanted to engage with me. And it, I was having a hard time engaging, you know, like following up with them because it would get me worked up. And I didn't want to lose love, lose respect for them since they're my parents and my relatives. So as you're talking about these techniques, and I don't know, I don't think there's a recipe for this, but in, in gaining and I, I, empathy and, and self-preservation to, to protect oneself before you engage, are there magical words <laughs> or a uh, to-do list of things that you know has, could be useful um, to to folk right now, and and I have to say I'm I'm in distress because what I see is that our our nation, you know, is very disconnected. Um, you know, these conversations of coming together um, are are not happening right now. And you might say, well, they need distance before we come together, but you know, for those close friends and relatives, um, peers. Any to do, any magical words that I should be using in my conversation right now, as I know they voted for that other that opponent. <laughs> I don't. I wouldn't necessarily say that there are magical words or anything like that. Like there isn't necessarily that catchphrase or anything. But there are some core tenets that we need to make sure that we are transmitting to those people that we really care about, and that is, I love you, I care about you and I support you. And when we're talking about those core tenants, that's really one of those keys in our relationships, period. Especially when you're talking about family. Members have canceled others, and I lost my best friend over 20 years, and so on and so forth, and we don't want that to happen. No, so again, it comes back down to getting back to that foundation. What is the foundation of our relationship? What is the foundation of the conversation that we're having at the moment? I know it's important for us to recognize you know, that no ethnic group is a voting monolith. You know, so what that means is we all have our various interests, we all have our various goals, our various desires, 
And we see those things being spoken to by particular candidates, either on one side or the other. And so when it comes to being able to you know, work through these particular conflicts, you know, we also we have to recognize that this is not the work that's going to be done in one day. It's been four years. It's been it's been it's been a hard four years for some people. You know, we all have that desire to be our true authentic selves in whatever space we're in. And so we know that for some people it's really difficult or impossible for a myriad of reasons to be their true authentic self. It's coming upon us to really reinforce that notion that I love you, I care about you, and I support you because that's what family does. You know, families, we will argue, we will fight, we will have disagreements, but we typically come back together. But it's hard to do that if I love you, I care about you, I support you is only coming from one side. We yes, really need to make sure we're getting it from both. Yes. That's such a good point you're raising. And, you know, you bring me to this, um, th to this thought and, and you and I have talked a little bit about this um, and in the work that we do that there is this uh, idea that minority groups and, 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 and rightfully so, truthful, it's, it's factual that tend to largely vote for Democrats. Um, but we but we saw in this election um, and early reports were coming in uh, that President Trump was gaining um, ground with um, the Latinx, Latino, Latina, um, African-American males, um, as well as Asian um, populations. And I was curious um, if you had any thoughts about the narrative, you know, I mean, people tend to generalize for populations, oh, they must all be this, they must all be that. But within the minority population or underrepresented population, I think there is a tension. And I have to say, I witnessed it last week when I was with a, a group of graduate students and we, have, we were having a conversation about how do you think about diversity, equity, and inclusion in your lens, in, from your lens and in your, in your role. And we couldn't go there. We couldn't go there because there was so much tension about, well, if, if they were black or if they were this or if they were that, and so how do you explain that? Um, how, do you, how do you bridge community in that way too when you know that it, there's, no, there's no solidarity within the underrepresented population because of who you voted for? Well, there's a tension there that I'm, I'm, that I'm seeing. Um, and I just wanted your thoughts about how do, you, how do you explain that, but also how do you come to terms in healing with that? Well, you're right that um, Trump did see an increase in all ethnic groups um, from 2016 to 2020, it, according to the exit polls. The, uh, the only place in which he actually reportedly, according to the exit polls, saw a decline in support was with white males. He saw slight increases with all the breakdown ethnic groups. Um, the thing about it is, you know, again, you know, we as individuals have individual goals, plans, interests, and desires. And people will vote for that person that they feel um, is speaking to that. And so that's your, your own individual perspective. And that's the position that you're coming from that motivates and suits your particular needs. That's fine. But when it comes to recognizing the collective, when it comes to recognizing 
these collective communities, there's definitely a point in which you're recognizing the policies that have come from particular administration have been harmful or good for a particular community. And that part is a bit more stark in contrast, where we actually can see what was said and what was done and how that then lines up when it comes to us as a larger community. The thing about it is oftentimes as members of a community, we want everybody together. We want the, to see the entire community progress. And it's hard to see one or two members pull away from the community and pull away in the way that they did. And it's hard on the other hand, to be someone as you were bringing up earlier, to take that leap out if you feel as though that's what's best for you. And that's the key about it. It's you have people who are saying, I feel that like this is what's best for me. And at times that does run counter to the collective good. And again, you mentioned earlier, you don't want to, you know, we know we don't want to see, you know, cancel culture or anything like that take place. But when it comes to your capacity as an individual, can you still embrace somebody who you feel as though has voted against your interest? Right. Can you still embrace somebody who doesn't ally with your political views? And that's where it comes back down to, again, to that foundation level. Because for a while, I was seeing people talk fiscal responsibility to somebody else who's talking human rights. And you may agree on fiscal responsibility, but on the other hand, there's a disagreement on human rights. And for some people, that's just, you, you can't draw that, you can't bridge that gap when we're talking human rights and human rights. You would require some level of time, some level of healing first within ourselves before we were able to go out and have that conversation with somebody else. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I think it's a, you're in, we're in a perfect um, time to shift a little bit to some, what are you observing um, at Southern? I mean, you've been again uh, at, at, at the institution for a few years now. And, and, and like you just said, um, this trauma did not start during this election or a few months before this election. Um, it has happened since for some, for many marginalized communities, the trauma happened in you know, beginning 2016 and, and it has happened even before that. You know, this is the systemic racism and oppression is, is a historical um, oppressive experience. The, that said, um, we, we know that for for now, a week into um, after the election or a few days after the election, what are you seeing from faculty, staff, and students? What are they? What are you, what are the behaviors or comments that they're 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 coming to you with? There are a few things. Um, personally, I have not actually had the um, instance of actually running into any faculty or staff member personally saying or bringing up anything to me. But what we do know is that it is happening. And we do recognize that this is a longer term process as you're bringing up, you know, right, right now, it's only been a week. And so there are still people who have not 
felt comfortable saying anything. There are still some people who have not, you know, actually been around. And so one of the things that I'm expecting, or one of the things I'm hoping for actually, is that we find the capacity on our campus to have these difficult dialogues because we don't want it to be a, a place in which people feel as though they don't have a voice or they feel as though they're not allowed to speak. I want everyone to feel comfortable and feel as though they are able to speak. The, one of the things that's important to remember um, in this process, and now I am going to give a bit of a plug for counseling services, is that there definitely are spaces on campus where you are able to speak freely. And if you don't necessarily feel comfortable speaking freely, you know, in your classroom or in your residence hall, you can speak freely in counseling services. You know, that's a part of the goal for counseling services. The thing about being able to move into a space on campus in which you may be a political minority and still feel as though I need to speak up, you most certainly, I most certainly want you to feel that you can do that. There is most certainly a time and place for all of these conversations. There's most certainly a time and place for everything. And that is a bit more difficult at times. You know, I, it's interesting as I'm listening, I, I'm trying to take in as much as I can because I, I believe that I, I have a lot of self-healing uh, to do, but also I immediately want to put my um, hat on uh, as an educator to say, as a chief diversity officer, what should I be doing proactively to set tone? What should our senior leadership, our department chairs, our directors, our faculty, how should we be setting tone in our classrooms, um, in and outside of the classroom? You know, like, is there anything that we should be doing proactively? You know, you mentioned that you haven't and, and part of this is COVID, uh, that you just, we haven't seen the, the folk on campus um, for one, but as they start to communicate they're more on social media, which some of them have, as they start to talk about their feelings of isolation and, 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 or, or responsibility, or in some ways feeling very comfortable to, to speak their mind um, in, in ways that may not be real, May, may, may not be based on any truth. Um, how should the institution be doing anything uh, proactively to get those students or get faculty and staff to be having conversation? Because you're right, folk are not feeling comfortable speaking freely publicly uh, and, and they can come to counseling um, uh, services or uh, if, they, if they can do that, that's good. But if they can't even do that, how do you begin to have, to feel, to create spaces to be able to do that? Because we know that keeping it inside and not, and not talking about it is not healthy. I, would, I, I found that you know, finding ways to talk about it or finding activities to engage um, in positive ways has, is, is helping me. But, but any thoughts around that? You know, what can we as an institution be doing to proactively engage our community, our community, knowing that you don't want to engage too soon because people may not be ready to do that? Well, I do believe it's important for us as an institution to recognize and define what social justice actually means for our institution. As we remember, you know, 
there are students, faculty, staff on all spectrums of political ideology. So we don't want it to feel as though that social justice fits only on the left spectrum. Social justice is a concept that should be stretched across all political ideology with respect to, again, human rights. Now, when it comes to being able to actually speak about human rights, able to speak about what's going on in our country and around, our, around this world, we shouldn't be in a position in which people are feeling isolated or people are feeling as though they don't have a voice. And we do know that there are different organizations and clubs on campus that, are, that can operate as voices for all students. And I think it is important for us to make sure that students recognize what are the available resources on campus, what are the available organizations, what are the available clubs on campus, but also have from a top-down perspective what does this what does social justice mean for us as a, as an institution and how can we personalize that notion for our lives so in in other words if i'm understanding uh not just recognizing stating providing information for the community to say these are resources for you to utilize to help in moving us as a community that's one thing resources but also to re um, uh, underscore to to recapture reinform re underscore the importance of what is really social justice mean human rights mean for all of us so that messaging messaging around that that is important i think i think i i, I like that i like what you're saying with that um are there other things that the institution should be doing to be proactive as opposed to reacting to uh, somebody saying something that isn't going to make sense or somebody's going to say something on social media that is going to really tick someone off and now you're in reactive mode are there other things but those i, I like what you're saying about you know being proactive with messaging and then also certainly resources that people can can seek out but anything else that come to mind I definitely believe it would be important and incumbent upon us as an institution to take the steps forward to say we are opening up these spaces for these dialogues for these conversations. So, for example, we have um, a we have a program in counseling services that is really along these same lines in which we're open up time each day for students to just come in and just talk. You know, you have a question, go ahead and bring it to us and talk about this. We can have these dialogues. And so it would be important for the university and probably helpful as well for the university to open up spaces in which we will have these dialogues about what has recently occurred and what are our feelings about it and what's happening moving forward. For all political parties, for everyone to be in an inclusive space in which we are all getting given a chance to you know, just let it go, let it you know, get some of that stuff off your chest. Because we all know that while we may exist in a higher education sphere, um, we know that there is a large variety of thought within this sphere. And we don't want anyone to feel as though they, aren't, they don't have the right to speak. We don't want anyone to feel as though their voice doesn't matter. But we do want to make sure that everyone is, be, is able to express themselves truthfully, honestly, and uh, compassionately. Yes. Is there a, a right time um, to do this? I, I, I'm really 
I really like what you said earlier um, about self-healing and that we may not be ready to have that conversation yet. But when are we ready? When should we be ready? Well, healing and, and forgiveness are in those extremely personal constructs because the pain that the individual has felt is one that's only experienced by the individual and not necessarily by everyone else. So no one can really tell you how to heal or how long it should take to heal or when you should heal. But I would say for myself, I prefer to take the time to process what I'm thinking, what I'm feeling first, and then move over into healing because I need to determine how best it is for me to move forward. You know, so forgiveness, you know, for me, it's really just about acknowledging what has happened and deciding to move forward. You know, in this case, you know, as we're talking about with, you know, the, um, the decline of our political discourse in this country, it, this could be a tall order. But we're also seeing that, you know, some people have that desire for revenge, if you will. You know, so you spent the past four years trolling me on social media. Now it's my turn to troll you. And that doesn't necessarily bring us to where we really want to go. While it will feel very satisfying to troll the trolls for the next four years, is that really the direction that would take us forward? You know, so as Michelle Obama said back in July 20, 25th of 2016, when they go low, we go high. Now, she went on to explain further what she meant by when they go low, we go high. No, she was saying it's not that we're trying to degrade ourselves. We're not allowing someone to just troll us or just viciously attack us and we degrade ourselves. No, it's about going high is not about putting a smile on your face or anything like that, but it means taking the harder path. It means standing against fierce hatred, it means finding a way to live together and move forward. Going high means resting and relying on the truth. And so when we're talking about going through the process of healing and forgiveness, it really is about being able to acknowledge this is the truth. This is my truth, your truth, and there's the truth in the middle. What we mean by that is taking all the subjectives out of it, taking all of what I felt about it out of it, and being able to acknowledge this is what actually happened. And while this is what actually happened, it may have made you feel one way, it made me feel a completely different way. And so when it comes to the healing process, it is about getting to the actual objective truth. So the forgiveness happens in the subjective truth and the healing happens in the objective truth. Acknowledging what actually happened and acknowledging how do we move forward from what has actually happened outside of how we feel about it. I'm listening to you and I'm thinking about um... And again, we're going through very difficult times in our country as, it, as we are in, in, in the world. And uh, we know historically uh, that many countries in trying to uh, restore the harm done by civil wars um, in, in such in, uh, incomprehensible ways, the amount of death, torture, uh, you know, it's part of our ugly history in our, in our world. And um, we know that there, in the last 25 plus years, there has been movement, uh, certainly at the government level, at the nation level, to talk about um, restorative justice. 
in ways, using restorative uh, practices to heal trauma, to heal the injustice done. And I, I'm curious, um, in your work, have you come to um, terms with that, restorative justice? Have you come, um, your research or in your practice, understood some of that work? And what would that look like if we were to do that at Southern um, or to implement such a practice? Can you, do you have some experience working with restorative justice? I do have a little bit of experience early on in my career before I made my way into higher education working uh, for um, local city governments uh, right out of grad school. Now the thing about uh, restorative justice, uh, the goal of restorative justice is for you know the, the, the offender and the offendee to actually be in the same place and to have essentially a dialogue that with some representation from the wider community for everybody to get a chance to share the experience of what happened and to discuss how that harm from that crime or whatever has impacted the individual, the community, and so on. Now, the goal would be to create a consensus for what the offender can do to repair the harm from the offense. And so when we're looking at it from with respect to what's going on 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 campus, who was the offender? Who was the person that um, was hurt or injured? And what can be done to fix and repair what has happened? The thing about it is that work is hard if you don't actually have an agreement about what actually happened. And that's where we have to start. You know, going back again to that objective reality, what the objective truth, what actually happened. You know, so while someone may have said, well, I was just singing a song, someone else would say, well, what you were actually doing, at least as it came to me, was this, what actually happened. How can we fix what's going on? Now, as far as I'm concerned, nothing is beyond repair as long as both parties are willing to talk about it. As long as all parties are willing to talk about it, we can get to a place of repair. It's definitely not something that's going to happen overnight. Just as we were discussing earlier, all of this is a process. It's a process that takes time, but if we are all willing and committed to that process, it's something that can definitely happen. Restorative justice is great. It's definitely the type of work that we know through literature, we know through evidence-based practice, restorative justice works but it's definitely one of those long, hard processes that we have to be committed to and we have to be get the buy-in from the campus community. Along with restorative, restorative justice, you know, we can also look at ourselves in the meantime through the process of what's known as mindfulness. And one of the best ways I like to describe mindfulness is if I were to ask you the question, why are you thinking what you're thinking right now? So, it's really a level of introspection in which you're going deeper into your thought process. You're truly trying to understand where some of my thoughts are coming from at this time. You know, so sometimes we have that discussion with a friend of ours or with a classmate or with a family member, and it really bugs us. What they said, what they said really, really, really bothers us. And instead of just going out and saying, what you just said really, really bothered me, what you really said, what you just said really, really hurt. 
so getting into a position of well why did they why did this really hurt me? and be able to relay that message as well you know what you just said really hurt me and this is why what you said hurt because i want to make sure that when we leave this conversation there will not be any misunderstanding about what i'm saying right now now the goal of that type of dialogue the goal of that type of exchange would be so that we can get deeper into our emotional experience so that whoever we're dealing with whoever we're talking to really gets a chance to see us and that's one of the things that's been missing in in our dialogue over these past few years there has been a position in which you have no longer become you have no longer been diane you have been that person you have been that other i've been in conversations where i'm not randolph i'm just the other and getting out of that space to getting to recognizing your individual humanity again because no longer you are that other it's no you are diane and this is who diane is i'm randolph this is who randolph is and getting past all the labels getting past all the other nonsense getting to the actual individual but that's not something that can actually happen until both sides are ready for that discussion and that is again part of that work of the process prior to having the discussion because right now we've been siloed we have been split it's been the left versus the right it's been liberals versus conservatives it's been this versus that as opposed to this individual and that individual i i wow um it, it i'm just really um excited to know that um, not only of the work that you do at Southern, but also the experience you've had with uh, restorative justice, and you know, as you were talking about mindfulness and and contemplative work, and and being able to pause and the research, um, as you were just saying, the evidence to how the healing can happen, healing and forgiveness, and forgiveness the subjectivity but the healing and objectivity you know being able to come together as as these very divisive parties and 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 trying to go deeper to i'm more than just a trump supporter or a biden harris supporter i'm i'm more than than just what you think well how you have just generalized me or or captured me and so i feel that Dr. Brooks, be ready. <laughs> I know you're ready, but I feel that we're going to have to do a lot of this work together because as someone who does educational training development around how do we think about creating inclusive spaces of belonging where I feel at my best and at my whole, um, we can't, I, I really think that even in, in how I start to strategize with Southern and the community, it is going to, we're going to need to think about what just happened with this election. I, I don't think we can really get at um, a community of belonging or of inclusion or understanding of who we are if we're not addressing this, this piece um, that is created as you just eloquently said, a bifurcation, a divide that um, is going to take some time for us to get at, but I don't think that we can get at diversity, equity, and inclusion. That's me, that's me talking, but until we start to, to 
create these healing and forgiveness circles or processes. I, I don't know. Would you agree or disagree or your position on that? Am I, am I thinking this too? Um, am I on track or? I agree with you. I completely agree with you. I would just add that we need to make sure that we have the capacity for it. Because there are some people that you're you know, kind of alluding to, there are some people who just aren't ready for it. It is not any part of them, but it's again a part of that as we're going through that process. You know, this is a process that takes time on, on all the levels. And so there are people, again, talking specifically about Southern, I mean, there are people on this campus whose job it is to be there in that space when others don't have that capacity. And that's really the hard part right now is because we're building capacity, but we're building capacity and we're dealing with people who have 15,000 other things that they're worried about. And so sometimes to have the time to really dive into the work of, of healing, you have to make sure you have the space and the time for that. You know, it's almost like if I were to say, I want to have a conversation with, with you, Diane, and you're saying, great, let's have this conversation, but I have to, I'm walking to another meeting while I'm on the phone with another meeting and I have something else going on, yes. but yeah, we can still talk, you know, so you don't have the capacity to talk to me at that point and that's okay. No, it's, it's okay because we're working towards getting that capacity, you know, so that's a part of this entire process. You know, there are some people who want to have the conversation and have the capacity for it. And there's others who want to have the conversation, but don't have the capacity for it. And there are others who don't want to have the conversation and wherever you are, that's fine. But it's important that you let people know around you, that the people around you know where you are, so that they know how to engage with you. Absolutely. Oh, Dr. Brooks, uh, there's so much more to say. And I know there will be other podcasts. Um, so this conversation is going to continue. But I just deeply, deeply want to thank you for being part of this conversation today that is so, 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 so needed. And um, I'm so privileged to have you in my space at Southern. Um, and I know there will be more conversations. So grateful, so grateful. Thank you Thank again you. for joining us today. Thank you very much.